0: His name is so powerful. Amen. Wow. I believe that today, through the powerful name of Jesus, that, um, can I give this to you? that that there's a stirring going on. I I sense, um, you've ever seen a snow globe? My daughter Michaela collects them and once the snow is done, you take the snow globe and you shake it up really hard and you set it down and then the snow flurries, you know, begin to settle. Um, I believe that the last 12 months there has been a shaking, there's been a shaking And you're like, Lord, I just, I'm done with the shaking. And the Lord says, but there's coming a stirring. There's coming a gentle stirring to your spirit where faith is gonna come alive again. I, I sense in this moment that there's just some massaging going on. The spirit of God is massaging those places where you've given up, those places where you've stopped believing so today I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about the resurrection. I know, I know we've had a long time in service already, uh, but I'm gonna continue with the word of God because I believe I'm bringing to you something today that has the power to revive you. Is that all right? Is that all right? All right. I just need to know Are you all in in the sermon today? Are you all in? All right, Father, we come before you. I thank you for your word that is gonna transform our heart. It's going to, God, just give us a jolt, a jolt of faith, a jolt of hope, a jolt of electricity, just believing that you are who you say that you are. God, you're a good God. You're a good God, and I just sense right now that you're delivering good gifts to your kids. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, amen. amen, amen. You may be seated. The resurrection has never been more relevant than this year. For the past 12 months, I suppose, March of 2020 to, you know, April 4th, 2021, I believe that the resurrection has never been more relevant. It addresses all of our deepest fears. The resurrection does. And all of our deepest fears are at the forefront of life right now. We're all asking some pretty significant questions like, am I going to be all right? Is my family going to be all right? Will life ever feel right again? Does God know about this Does God care about this? Does God care about me? Where is he, by the way? I'm sure that we're all asking these questions. Even maybe, does God hear my prayers? Maybe you're asking, what's the point? Maybe you're asking, is it safe to dream again? Did any of those questions resonate with any of you? Like over the last 12 months, this is at least in my life, I think, my fears, my insecurities are coming to the surface with all of this, this COVID stuff, social distancing stuff. You know, we weren't made to live on an island alone. We were made for community. And so for the past 12 months, we're seeing left and right people that are developing mental illness, people that are developing anxiety, tensions in their homes, in their family. I, I mean, we see it. You see it. You may even feel it, but resurrection is very applicable and very relevant to today. And I'll explain why in just a moment. Perhaps never before in history has resurrection been as applicable as this year, except maybe potentially the very first Easter. The very, very, very Numero uno Easter was probably the most relevant. And then 2021 is the second most relevant. You see, today we have the advantage of looking back through history. We, we have something to hang our hat on. We have something, we have a storyline to lean into. We, get, we have the benefit of seeing what has already happened. But the first century church, the first century Jesus followers, it was a different story. And this is the part of the story that most believers misunderstand or miss altogether. Maybe we've never fully heard this. We've never fully understood it. Maybe if you're not a Christian, this is a part of a story that no one's ever shared with you. Maybe if you're here today just to make mom or dad happy or watching from home just to make mom or dad or grandma happy, maybe you've walked away from the church. I bet that you walked away from the church because you didn't understand what I'm about to share with you today. You see, here, was, here is what's so difficult or what was so difficult for the followers of Jesus in the first century church that we often don't understand that we don't grasp the weight and the reality of. Many of us either forget or we've never been told. And it's this, when Jesus died, hope died. Go ahead and write that down, text it to your friend, do a hashtag if you want, because this is critical. It's important that we understand. When Jesus died, hope died. It didn't lessen, it didn't diminish, it didn't dissipate, it died. And this is different than what you and I experienced. But in the first century church, after Jesus died, there were no Christians because there was no Christ. Listen, three days ago, the Messiah was killed. From that moment forward, there were no Christians, no believers because there were no Christ. There was no... Christ. There was no Messiah. There was no more hope. Here's what was left a brokenhearted mother. A disillusioned group of Galilean fishermen wondering if they had wasted an entire season of their life. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus go and ask to have the body of Jesus. They go up to Pilate and they ask for the body. Pilate was shocked that Jesus had died already. And they take the body of Jesus off of the cross and they place him in a cave belonging to the family of Joseph of Arimathea, family burial plot. They place Jesus in and they roll a large stone in front of it because they believed what was going to happen was the same thing that had happened every death prior. The person that was dead was going to stay dead. That's what they believed, their hope had been shattered. I mean, you you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all, all the writers of the New Testament, they made this very clear. No one was planning to keep the dream alive or keep the movement moving. When Jesus died a few days ago, it was lights out, game over. Faith was dead. Hope was dead. There's no more Christ. It's over. This is what the first century church had in mind. In their mind, when Jesus died a few days ago, only one thing was proven. The only thing that the death proved a few days ago was this. Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be. Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be. That's what that proved to them. Not to you and I when we say, good Friday, hashtag blessed. But to them, that's that's what they were feeling. Jesus was a fraud. He was a fake. He wasn't the Messiah. You know, Jesus' teaching was not the driving force of his movement. I don't know if you know that or not, but the teaching of Jesus was not what propelled the gospel. The teaching of Jesus is not what kept these these band of brothers together. It wasn't his teaching. It was actually the outrageous claims he made about himself. It were these claims about himself that kept the disciples moving forward. It It was these claims about himself that angered the religious leaders. It was these claims about, himself that made everybody go crazy about this man named Jesus. It wasn't his teaching. It It wasn't his miracles. It wasn't his parables. Heck, no one even really understood the parables at the time. It was this audacious claim that he made. He gave himself labels and titles and attributes that only belong to God. And this was shaking things up. You see, for example, Jesus said that, or he claimed that he could forgive sins, but everybody knew only God could forgive sins. It's revolutionary, quite offensive. At one point, Jesus said that he was greater than the temple. Who says that? Jesus said he was greater than Moses. Jesus said he was Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus said he was greater than the prophets. Over and over, Jesus is claiming to be I am. And that's the big issue. Because other people came along. Other people can do miracles. Other gods can do miracles. You know that, right? I hope we're not naive enough to think that only God can do miracles. You, You ever seen witchcraft produce something? It does, it has a God. Tarot cards, it's not just a game. It's demonic, and it produces results. It produces miracles. Ouija boards, I've seen it. I've seen, I've heard from my mom who was there, who her family had their eyebrows burned off because the Ouija board burst into flames while they were playing it, and chairs were thrown across the room. She's in the room, It happened. <laughs> Our God is not the only God that produces miracles. Now, I'm grateful for them. But that's not what set Jesus apart. What set Jesus apart was that he constantly branded himself with labels that only God carried. And it was their belief about Jesus, their belief that Jesus was correct about himself that made them keep following Peter, James, John, the whole disciple crew, they didn't choose to follow Jesus because of what he taught. In fact, in some cases, we see that they chose to follow Jesus in spite of what he taught. Case in point, in John, John tells us that Jesus fed 5,000. You may remember the story, a couple of fish, likely codfish, a uh, couple of uh, Loaves of bread, likely uh, cheddar biscuits, cheddar <laughs> biscuits. And Jesus prayed over it, multiplied it. He fed over 5,000 people. Do you remember this story? Maybe, maybe you heard this. Maybe you remember in Sunday school, you colored a little picture or something. Um, John tells us that that happened. And the crowd, massive crowd is so impressed and so grateful that they just got fed. The Bible tells us that they tried to force Jesus to be king that's what kings did. Kings fed their people. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm not down with that. He and the disciples get into the boat and they cross over the Sea of Galilee. They go to the southern tip of Galilee and the crowd before long begins to make their way to Jesus. And he finds himself again. After trying to get away from the crowd, he finds himself again surrounded by a crowd. So what does Jesus do when he's got a crowd? He does what any good preacher does. He preaches. Jesus starts preaching and he starts saying some ridiculous things. He says, I am the bread of life, come down from heaven. It's all well and good till one old guy in the crowd points his finger at Jesus. And he says, no, you're not. I know your daddy. I know your mom and dad, you're the son of Joseph. You're not the bread that came down from heaven. And Jesus continues to talk and refer to himself as who he is, God, the son of God, the one true living God, the one who has the power to save. But it gets better. Jesus gets offensive. He starts saying things that are just really turning people's stomachs, such as eating flesh in my flesh and drinking my blood, and it gets really disturbing, and and they're very offended at what Jesus is saying. So much so that the crowd begins to thin. They can't handle what he's teaching. And Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, what about you? Are you going to go too? Are you leaving too? I imagine that the disciples don't make eye contact. They're wondering if now's the time for the flesh and the blood. What are we going to (sighs) do? Finally, Peter speaks up. And Peter says something to Jesus in response to, are you going to stay or are you going to go? There's a lot to be learned, though, with what Peter didn't say. Here's what Peter did not say in uh, John chapter six. He he did not say, Jesus, I'm gonna stay with you. We are gonna stay with you because you're such a great teacher. We've learned so much from you. You've just really illuminated our eyes. Your content is brilliant. Your storytelling is amazing. Storytasing, isn't that funny? (laughs) If I am an amazing storyteller, I am a storyteller taser. Anyway, that's what Peter didn't say. He didn't say, oh man, weddings are so great with you, Jesus. He didn't say, well, I can't afford health insurance, so might as well stay with you. He didn't say that. But here's what Peter did say. When the crowd is thinning, and Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, what about you? Are you going to stay or are you going to go? In verse 68, chapter six, verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Verse 69, watch this. Also, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What held them there? Because they came to believe that he was the son of God, the living Christ. It wasn't his teaching, it wasn't his miracles, it wasn't that he provided lunch and dinner with just a few ingredients. It was that they had come to believe that he was who he said that he was. And now he's dead. Can you just let that sit in for a moment? That guttural response that they must have felt. Because again, it wasn't just good entertainment. It wasn't free food. It wasn't good teaching. This was the son of God. And they just watched him be brutally beaten, almost dismembered, dying on a cross. So clearly they were wrong. Clearly, this was not the Son of God. This this could not be the Messiah. Something must be wrong. Surely, the Son of God, the bread of life, the Holy One of Israel, the chosen one, can't be crucified by man. If he was God, if he was the Creator, he would have fixed all this. They watched him die. And it's clear from the gospels that all of them expected, to do, expected Jesus to do what dead people normally do, stay dead. We find no account in the gospels or anywhere else where anyone was standing outside the tomb early Easter morning, doing a backwards countdown from 10 to one. No one was expecting that stone to roll away. Nobody writes themselves in after the fact as as the hero of the story, the one who had the faith, the one who knew Jesus was gonna rise again. The disciples are brutally honest in the gospels. They let us know that they all stopped believing and hope was dead. So let's pause for a moment. Let's take inventory of this moment and see where we are right now Jesus wasn't the king. He wasn't the son of God. He wasn't the Messiah, obviously. He's dead. He was a sideshow. We got to go back to looking to the one. We are stuck with a corrupt religious system, a heartless empire, a relieved Roman governor, Pilate, who just wants to get back to his beach house. A bunch of sad Galileans, heartbroken, thinking this was the one. But there is no Savior. No son of God, no believers, there is no hope. Because when Jesus died, hope died. And there were no Christians because there is no Christ. And then something happened. something happened that changed everything. That morning sealed the promise when when that buried body began to breathe. You see, Resurrection Sunday has never been more relevant to the human race than today. And we're celebrating in this moment, not something that was written, but something that happened it happened. And I need you to understand the order of events. First, the first thing that happened was the event. Say the event. Look at your neighbor, say it happened. It happened. happened. The event then launched the movement. Everything died when Jesus died. There were no more believers. There were no Christians. There were no Uh, there, There were no gatherings or meetings. They had gone back to fishing, life as usual. The event, the resurrection launched the movement. And from the movement, we get the Bible. Now, this is important. It's an important sequence of events that I want us all to understand today. Because if you get this out of order, your faith gets fragile. The Bible did not create Christianity, the movement. Christianity, the movement, did not create the resurrection. The resurrection created both. This is why we have a day set aside to celebrate an event that actually happened because that event created this movement that we're part of, not 52 Sundays a year, but 365 days. Is that the number of days in a year? (laughs) A year. (laughs) Some people may say, but you know, pastor, but the Bible, um, the Bible is how we know about the resurrection. And actually, I would, I would say that it's not. But most people think that it is. The Bible is not how we know about the resurrection. The Bible wasn't assembled until 350 years after the resurrection. When I say assembled, I mean taking the Jewish scripture, the gospels, the apostles' letters, the book of Revelation. It was in the fourth century, 350, 400 years after the resurrection, the Bible was assembled. The Bible did not inform us about the resurrection. If it had for 400 years, no one would have known about the resurrection. Yeah? It's important to understand these sequence of events. We don't know about the resurrection because of the Bible. We know about the resurrection because we were told about it from people who witnessed it. Our family... Our brethren, our sisterin That's how we know about the resurrection. We know because there's a guy named Matthew. Matthew knows. There's a guy named Mark. Mark was friends with Peter and he wrote Peter's account. Peter was there. Peter walked into the empty tomb. We know because Luke witnessed it. In fact, we know that Luke says he thoroughly investigated it before he put pen to paper. Luke also says that there were many people writing down the events that had occurred surrounding Jesus. Luke is giving witness to many more writers that aren't even in the Bible. Many of our brothers and sisters thought something happened so big, I need to write this down. That's what Luke says. And then you've got John. We, we read from him. And then Peter. I, uh, Peter's good. Peter uh, has two books in the New Testament. He talks about it eyewitness accounts. Like we're hearing from individuals who were there. Are you following me? We're not hearing from a good book, a good story, a good plot that was laid out by the globalists who want to convince you that there is some fairy tale God. No, we are hearing from people. You saw it and get this James. He's my favorite one to talk about. James, the brother of Jesus, who tells us that Jesus is the son of God. Let me ask you this. What would your brother have to do to prove to you that he's the son of God? James believed it so much that he spent his entire life, risking his life so that we would know that his brother was the son of God. Then we have Paul who made his fame and fortune by trying to demolish the Christian movement. There was absolutely nothing in it for him, no benefit to then change his mind. In fact, because he had an encounter with Jesus, it created a lot more problems for Paul he ended, up, he ended up facing some things inside of himself that he wouldn't have had to face had he just continued persecuting the Christians. Are you with me? We hear about the resurrection not from the Bible that happened 400 years later. We hear about it from testimony of people who were on the ground. We have a Bible because of the resurrection. The resurrection isn't a part of our life because we pick up a Bible from Barnes and Nobles and we discover it. The resurrection already happened whether you read about it or not. We have the scripture because of the resurrection. Listen, there would be no Bible if we just had Jesus teaching. There would be no Bible if we just had the miracles of Jesus. You know why we have a Bible? because that which was slain rose again, proving beyond any shadow of doubt that Jesus is the son of God. Something happened that shifted the generational discussion about how to approach God. And for that reason, a Bible was created. So for over 30 years, the apostle Peter would tell the story. I just imagine him going from living room to living room telling the story of how he ran into the tomb and the body wasn't there. And he was shook because he, didn't, he wasn't immediately thinking about the resurrection. He was probably, you know, Peter, he's a, he's a scoundrel. He cuts off the ears of soldiers and he does things he shouldn't do. He probably thought the body of Jesus was stolen. But then he comes face to face with a risen Lord. And for 30 years, Peter tells the story of the resurrection. And Mark is traveling with him, Mark his companion. And I imagine that Mark probably had the story memorized. He probably sat in the living room and he had the story memorized from Peter, every little detail. But there comes a point 30 years in that Peter is in Rome, Nero's Rome and what Peter didn't know that we have the privilege of knowing is that Peter never make his way out. He'll end up dead in Rome. And just before that happens, Mark sits across the table from him and says, tell me one more time. Tell me every detail. I want to get this down. Go slow. I want to know exactly, exactly what you experienced. And here's what Peter said. Peter says to Mark, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph then he bought fine linen. Joseph did, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn in out of the rock. And rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joses observed where he had, he was laid. Now, when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome bought spices that they may come and anoint him. Now, why were they coming to anoint Jesus? Because just like everybody else, they expected Jesus to stay dead. And then very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen and they said among themselves, who will roll the stone away from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they had laid him. The angel goes on to tell the ladies to run and tell the guys. So they do. They tell the disciples and they race to the tomb to confirm and then later that day uh, the word is spreading and, and people aren't believing we see over and over and over that as people even see Jesus they find it hard to believe that he's alive listen if you're hearing me today and you find it difficult to believe that Jesus rose from the grave you're in good company most of the disciples didn't believe it at first either. When they finally did see him, him, Jesus actually rebuked their unbelief. And I don't know if you remember or not, but Jesus kind of did give them fair warning that he was gonna raise the temple after three days. I mean, he kind of gave them a heads up of what was gonna happen, yet they didn't believe. If you are a Jesus follower in the room or watching online today, Peter would tell you, James would tell you, Andrew, John would tell you, even Thomas would tell you that your faith, that your love, your faithfulness, your intercession, your hope is not in vain. If you're unconvinced, I think Peter would say, he'd lean in across the table and he'd say, I was unconvinced too. I too lost hope, but then something happened. Something happened that caused me to spend the rest of my life, risking my life to tell you that Jesus is Lord. He is really the son of God. He's not just a good prophet. He's not a good old boy. He's not a philanthropist. He's not just somebody that we hear about in the pages of history. He's the son of God. And God has done something for you because God is for you. And this is the day, this is the time where we lay aside our doubt, we lay aside our our hesitancy, we lay aside, this is the day of salvation. This is the moment where you get to realize that hope is alive. And I know 2020 and 2021 hadn't been good to you. And you may feel like hope is dead, but that's impossible because hope already died. It died 2000 years ago and laid in the grave three days. And when our savior stood to his feet, I'm wanting to rhyme because I sound like a poet now. I didn't plan it and I'm not gonna rhyme, but you get the point. Hope came alive. Hope is alive and hope can't die. Because hope isn't a feeling, hope isn't an emotion, hope is a person and his name is Jesus. Today on Resurrection Sunday morning, I can think of no better time than to say yes to Jesus. If you're ready to come home. The Bible says all we have to do to move from death to life 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Romans 10, 9, is to believe that Jesus is actually who he says he is, the son of God. Jesus died on a cross so that you and I could be in relationship with him. He rose again after three days, conquering death, hell, and the grave so that you and I not just could have eternal life with him, but could have hope and life here on earth in the here and now. And to be a Christian, you just have to receive that, to believe that, to put your faith in him. You know, the definition of repentance is not feeling sorry for what you've done. God doesn't need your tears of pity. God doesn't need your tears of regret. Repentance is turning your mind instead of believing and putting your faith in that which you think saves you, your education, your ego, your money, your family, your own ideas, your own brain power, realizing that nothing we own can save us. Repentance is saying it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that I'm saved. Through him and only through him, all things were made. Listen, I can make a guarantee to you today. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, I'll make you a money back guarantee. What I can't promise you is that your life is gonna be perfect from here on out. I can't promise you that your life is gonna be easy. I can't promise you that you're not gonna get COVID. I can't promise you that you're not gonna get laid off. I can't promise you that you're always gonna have food in the cupboard. But what I can promise you is that there is a God in heaven who knows your name and he will be in such deep relationship with you that no matter what circumstance you walk through, you'll never do it alone. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, let's go ahead and throw on the saddle and ride. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, will you just lift your hand? You're ready to make that decision Maybe you've walked away from him. Maybe you've been gone. Maybe you just don't even know if you're in relationship. Why not let's just seal the deal right now? Because listen, there was a first resurrection. There's a next resurrection that's coming very, very soon where Jesus is gonna be splitting the clouds and those who are dead in Christ are going to rise. We don't know when that is happening exactly, but I know that it's soon. So why not, let's just just saddle the horse and ride today. Let's just go ahead and say yes to Jesus today. If that's you, lift your hand. If you're watching online and there's no one there to affirm or confirm what you're saying or doing, just put your hand over your heart as a step of faith. Church, will you stand to your feet? Let's bow our head, close our eyes. Let's pray for everyone who is saying yes in this moment to Jesus. Just repeat after me Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for me. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he died on a cross for me. I believe that he rose from the grave. I believe that he's coming back. From this moment forward, I wanna be a child of God. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. 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 Can we give the Lord a hand clap this morning?